Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the Epistle to the Hebrews. The sermon was preached by Pastor Richard Jensen on April 25th, 2021, during the morning worship service. The sermon's title is Abraham's Hope and discusses Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. And turn in your Bibles once again to the Epistle to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, we'll pick up our reading in verse 9. Remember the context for this is right after that stern warning of apostasy. And then the writer to the Hebrews changes direction, so to speak, and he writes these words. Here now, the inspired word of God. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." For when God made the promises to, the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we look into your word, And especially on this topic of hope, we pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, and that we would see the hope that Abraham had, and we would emulate that same hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A number of years ago... We built an apartment on my brother's house for my mother and father. And to do that, we had an architect draw up plans, which we submitted to the building department and then received a building permit. Then we started to build the apartment, and we did so according to the blueprints that the architect had drawn up. We referred to the dimensions of the apartment as a whole and the dimensions of each individual room. On the plans, there were some detailed illustrations to show how the architect intended for us to attach this structure to the house. And if you've ever been involved in putting a new structure on an old house, sometimes it can get pretty difficult. So even when the architect had laid it out, we had to come up with certain fancy cuts to make sure that the lumber fit together the right way. When we did, the person measuring would often take a piece of board and draw a picture 
and write the dimensions on it because some of them were quite complex. And that helped the person who was cutting it uh, to cut the right piece in the right length. In general, illustrations can be very useful in carpentry, but also in other areas of life. Uh, if I asked you to draw an object, for example, that was one foot wide by one foot long by one foot high, what would you draw? My guess is most of you would draw a cube. But you realize that also describes a pyramid. <laughs> so an illustration would be very helpful for you. You ever try to put together those children's toys at Christmas time? I can remember when my kids were young, the hours that I would have to put in trying to figure out how these instructions would put. In fact, in fact the instructions themselves, they may read something like this. Take Framus A and place it into Rebostat B. Then take tab YY, place it into slot XX, and be careful not to disturb the hamophobin. Well, that's what it sounded like to me anyway. <laughs> what in the world are they talking about? But if you have an illustration that shows you what a Framus is, what a Rebostat is, and highlights the hamophobin, uh, then you can proceed. So very often we need an illustration to give us a, a better understanding of the situation at hand. The Bible frequently uses illustrations, gives us illustrations to use. We have seen in our study of John just uh, less than a year ago that Jesus often used parables. Parables have been described as word pictures uh, to explain and expound on the truth of his, of his word. And that's what we see in our text for this morning in Hebrews. Remember, the author of the epistle is warning his Hebrew Christian brothers and sisters not to lapse back into the old covenant ceremonies, uh, the types and the shadows. He is showing them that Christ is the fulfillment of all of the old covenant. And, and it's a folly to lapse back into the types when the reality is present. And so he began by showing that Christ is superior to the angels, that Christ is superior to Moses, and now we're in the midst of showing a crisis superior to the Aaronic priesthood. And he's already stated that Christ is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And now in the midst of showing some implications of this fact, first he gives us this great warning that we looked at a week or so ago. There are severe consequences for the man who has been the recipient's of the blessings of God by being in some manner in the covenant community and then turns his back on him. He's in danger of moving himself beyond the grace of God. Remember those words in verses 4 to 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to, to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. These are those who made an outward profession of faith, but have never truly been saved. And the caution is to examine yourself to make sure you are not one of those people. And then he continues with our text, But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, See, that's not the case for the true believer. The true believer is one who has demonstrated his faith by the fruit which accompanies salvation. 
And that will not be forgotten by God, the author tells us. And for this reason, the true believer has great hope. Verse 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. I just want to refer you back to, it was just about two years ago in the Gospel of John, we did a whole series of messages on the assurance of hope. That's why I'm not preaching on it again today. And we did use the confession, chapter 18 of our confession of faith, is all about the assurance of faith and salvation. And so I'd refer you back to that if you want to study that a little bit more. And the desire of the apostle is that each believer realize this full assurance of hope. And we've seen the importance of this over several messages. It is the assurance of hope that prevents us from being sluggish or slow of hearing in our Christian life. Assurance is necessary for our spiritual health. It's it's not something that's an option. And look again at the last clause of verse 12, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Instead of being sluggish in our faith, we are to be imitators of those who preceded us in the faith, those who with much patience inherited the promises of God. It is at this point that the author introduces an illustration for us, an illustration of faith and patience. And it is one that had great meaning to the first century Hebrew Christians and should have also great meaning for us. Because the person who is the illustration is our father in the faith, Abraham. Now let's see what this example says and what we can learn from Abraham. Uh, first, just uh, some brief background. Who was, who was Abraham? Well, we know he was a man from the city of Ur in the location the region of the Chaldees. His name was originally Abram, which means exalted father or high father. He was a man who was directly called and chosen by God. He was living in the country of Haran when God called him. In fact, he was 75 years old at the time of his calling. Wow, 75, that's what I am today. 75, it's interesting. I'm just getting started in my ministry. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) That's one thing about Reformed Baptists. We don't know what retirement is all about. But what kind of man was Abraham? He's described in scripture as a man of great faith. He is given much attention in Hebrews 11, which is called the the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. And he's even uh, given us an example. He's given to us as an example here. But we see in scripture, he's not perfect. The word of God, and this is one of the beauties, I think, of coming to the word of God. The word of God always... Uh, presents its heroes, warts and all. We don't see perfect people. We can identify. We can identify with Peter. We can identify with Abraham. We can identify with these people who have gone through great troubles and, and maybe didn't exactly do it perfectly all the time. And while Abraham was basically an honest man, there were times that he struggled with the truth. He lied to Pharaoh about his wife called her his sister. 
He was afraid Pharaoh would kill her. He did the same thing again with Abimelech. But we see that while he was a man of great faith, that he didn't start that way. That faith grew. Even in the promise of God to bless him, he felt that God may need a little help. In Genesis 15, which we read this morning, he speaks with God as though his servant, which would be his heir, even though God had promised him an heir. Notice he doesn't doubt God's promise to make him a father, only the methodology. Then with the prodding and consent of his wife Sarah, he has a child with her servant Hagar to raise up an heir. And so Ishmael is born. And so even though he was a man of great faith, we see that that faith grew over time. And that is the man who we are told to look at as an example by the author of Hebrews. Not a perfect man, not a superman, a faithful man. Why does the author use Abraham as an example? I think there's several good reasons. First, he was the father of the Jews. He was someone that they all revered and all looked up to. He is a classic example of being faithful even through the difficult times but also because of the way the promise is revealed to him and the circumstances surrounding the promise. The hope of Abraham must encourage each of us. So let's look at the promise. In verse 14, the promise is relayed, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. The promise comes to Abraham in several ways. First, it's made to him personally. Uh, The personal aspects of the promise were temporal in nature. Abraham was blessed with wealth and material possessions in this life. We see that, Genesis 24, 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And there's a further description by one of his servants in verse 24, verse 35. And the Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. So we see that part of the blessing to Abraham was was of a material type. But that was a type of the full blessing which we'll discuss in a few moments. But the personal promise was also to his descendants. They too were to be blessed in several ways. In greatness of number, They were to number as the stars of the heaven or the sand by the seashore. In other words, a great number. Second, by their success and prosperity, Genesis 22, 17. Indeed, I will bless you greatly and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sands which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Even in both these aspects, the promise Abraham lived by faith. He never saw the fulfillment of these promises with respect to his descendants. Second, there's the spiritual aspect to the promise. Abraham was to be a pivotal person in the history of redemption. God was calling him and through him and his physical descendants, the Messiah would come to redeem his people. And Jesus is called the seed of Abraham. Jesus said of him, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. John eight fifty six. Uh, this spiritual promise made Abraham the father of all who believe. All true Christians are the spiritual 
descendants of Abraham. Thirdly, it's a promise to all the elect throughout the history of history through Abraham. It is the Son of God who is the seed of Abraham, through whom all the nations will be blessed. Listen carefully to these verses, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Genesis 22.18. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And then Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. So the promise, while being about Christ, is also to him in the first respect. And it is, all, it is through him that all other descendants are blessed. So we are the beneficiaries of God's promise to Abraham. The promise made to him of the Messiah is the promise of eternal life to all his seed. And Paul expounds so well that the true seeds of, or descendants of Abraham are not all those who are circumcised in the flesh, but those who are circumcised in the heart. Abraham's physical descendants received the physical sign of circumcision and received the physical blessings of the covenant promise. The spiritual descendants of Abraham are those who receive the spiritual sign of circumcision of the heart and inherit the spiritual blessings of the covenant promise. And of course, they receive the outward sign of baptism in the new covenant upon their profession of faith. And I will avoid the temptation of going into believer's baptism versus pedo-baptism at this time. So we have this man, Abraham, held up to us as an example of one who has the assurance of hope. He has been given this promise. How, how does this Example, help us to attain to full assurance. Well, let's look and see how the promise was given to Abraham. First, the promise was not revealed in its fullness all at once. It came in stages at different times in the life of Abraham. Remember that the promise was first given to Abraham when he was 75 years old. Uh, we read about the calling of Abraham in Genesis 12. We read about it in Genesis 12. Uh, verse 2 and 3, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and, <coughs> and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But then the promise was further revealed to Abraham after he and his nephew Lot separated. <coughs> In chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 14 we read, and the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. And then later, when he thought his servant Eleazar would be heir, God again restates his promise to him in Genesis 15. This is what we read this morning. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. 
And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since thou hast given no offspring to me, no one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. And if you're able to count them, and he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. The promise is restated and reinforced again and again in Scripture, and God establishes his covenant with Abram. Genesis 15, verse 17 and 18, And it came about when the sun had set, it was very dark, And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And let me just pause for a few moments. That smoking oven passing and a flaming torch was a symbol of God himself ratifying the covenant. Uh, with the animal halves, and we can go into some great detail on that in future lessons about the, how the covenant was ratified. Basically, God is saying, if I do not keep my promise, may I cease to be God. Amen. Then 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, God confirms his covenant promise with Abram through the sign of circumcision, Genesis 17. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you a father of a multitude of nations." And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to God, to God be with, to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And then finally, when Abraham was 100 years old, 25 years after he was first called, he is given his son. Chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord took note of Sarah, and as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That's just a brief lineage or description of how the covenant was revealed to Abraham. And then when things seemed to be going quite well, God tells Abraham, All right, this son I gave you, sacrifice him on an altar. And you know the story how 
he takes Isaac out to slay him on the altar. Without a doubt, one of the most heart-wrenching and yet inspiring stories in all of Scripture. I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind, taking his son Isaac, and the Lord says, slay him on the altar. And then God says to him, in verse 20, 16 of chapter 22, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of the enemies, and in your seed <coughs> all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And of course we have all that wonderful imagery just when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, the Lord provides the ram. And again, all the symbolism of our substitution, atonement of Jesus Christ. Here we see that God confirms his promise with an oath. Look at verse 13 of our text once again. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. You know, it's an amazing thing. God confirms his promise to Abraham with an oath. Why did God swear with an oath? God condescended to assure Abraham in a manner that he could understand. God used the custom of the men of that time to confirm the certainty of the promise to Abraham. God does not have to swear an oath to us to make something binding. His word is always true. It's unchangeable. But in the weakness of man, God shows Abraham in human terms how serious and how sure his promise is. Verse 13, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And verse 16, For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. An oath is meant to give a confirmation and attest to the veracity and the truthfulness of a statement. That's why we used to swear to tell the truth in a court of law. When I was a young officer, you go in and you raise your right hand, and they would put a Bible there, and you'd actually put your hand on the Bible, say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Unfortunately, that is no longer required in our court system to our detriment. To violate that type of oath is even a crime in our country with fines or other consequences. But we were required to swear in the name of God. Why? Because he is higher than anyone else. But there is no one greater than Almighty God. So he swore by his own name. See, God is not one of a pantheon of gods. The, the Greeks and the Romans had many gods in their religions. And some, some gods were stronger than other gods. Some had favored gods. Some would swear by Zeus, others maybe by Apollo. But they had no assurance that their God even heard them, let alone that he would come to their aid or answer their requests. 
But the great confession of Scripture is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And Isaiah 45.21, declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together who has announced this from old, who has long since declared it. Is it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none except me. And so for Abraham's sake, he swore an oath to increase the assurance of hope of the promise to Abraham. Let's just look before we close at the assurance of Abraham. That's the purpose of the example given to us. Look again at verses 15 and 16. And thus, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with an oath, given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. Abraham waited patiently, and he obtained the promise. Of course, that was only the foretaste of the complete promise. But he was patient to receive even that. Do you see how this example can help to build your faith and your hope? Abraham only saw a partial fulfillment of the promise in his lifetime. And yet he was so assured of the promise that he was willing to sacrifice his own son based upon the word of God alone. Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. If he, it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham is the perfect example for us. He was a mere man who faltered at times, but Abraham never denied the promise, but couldn't always see how God was going to fulfill it. Fulfill it. But he never gave up hope. Paul tells us that he hoped against hope in Romans chapter 4. Verse 16, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls him into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. On more than one occasion, Abraham's condition seemed hopeless. And yet with each passing day, with each struggle, with each hardship, his assurance of hope grew stronger. Until he was willing to sacrifice his own son, through whom the promise of God was to be fulfilled, because he trusted God more than his own sinful self. Quite often, illustrations on blueprints prove invaluable to properly finish the job. In the case of those children's toys, illustrations are a necessity. And as we have seen in our Christian life, the Bible uses illustrations uh, to aid us 
in our understanding of what we are required to do. So what have we learned from this example, the illustration of Abraham about the assurance of hope? We learned a few things. First, we learned that the promise of God is sure and will overcome all obstacles. The old age of Abraham and Sarah. Remember with Sarah's when she heard that they were going to have children? She laughed. Even the apparent death of Isaac. There was no obstacle. It was through all of these obstacles that the faith of Abraham grew into hope. And his hope grew to full assurance. Secondly, Abraham had the full assurance he needed from God, from the word of God himself. The fact that God doubled the surety of his promise with an oath is only a demonstration of his grace and compassion upon us sinful men. It wasn't necessary for him to do that. And so we too have everything we need from the scriptures, from the word of God itself to give us full assurance of our faith and hope. Third, Abraham's assurance did not come all at once. The assurance came with repeated encounters with God. It came in degrees as he walked in faithful obedience to the word of God. We too must recognize that our assurance comes with repeated encounters with God. Our assurance grows by making diligent use of the means of grace. Fourth, it was the assurance that Abraham had that allowed him to walk in obedience during those tough times. I still can't imagine getting ready to sacrifice my own son. And yet, Abraham was fully assured of the promise of God that if need be, he would raise him from the dead to keep his promise. Fifth, there is a relationship between faith and hope. Faith gives birth to hope, and hope in turn strengthens faith. And faith and hope working together produce the pursuit of holiness. So Abraham is our example, and we must come to the full assurance of the hope, the hope that we see in Abraham, so that we will not be slow of hearing, but will attain to maturity and be useful in the kingdom of God. We all need to have not only the faith of Abraham, but the hope of Abraham as well. Let's pray. Father, we do bow before you and how grateful we are that you have given us your infallible word. Thank you that we have recorded for us the examples of men such as Abraham who persevered under difficult times, whose faith gave birth to hope. And we see the assurance of the hope that Abraham had that that even though he was to slay Isaac, that God would be able to raise him from the dead. But Father, how grateful we are that you provided a substitutionary atonement. And that atonement for us is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for our hope. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Father, I would pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you that, Father, that you would open their eyes, give them that gift of faith, that they might see the hope in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.